The following program is brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment. Welcome to an hour of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. Good morning, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. What's cooking for you this weekend? We hope you'll sit down at the table this morning, share and learn something new with us. My culinary comrades are here and, of course, Lana this morning, whom I wouldn't do it without. Good morning, Good morning. to you. We are celebrating because every day is a delicious day, in fact, and planning for a party for the Academy of Country Music Awards tonight. And so you will hear great country music all this hour. If you are a country fan, then please continue to listen because we're planning your menu for every celebratory occasion. We're getting fresh this morning with ideas and inspiration to eat better and live better. And we promise to make you so hungry that you just might lick your radio. (laughs) The truth is you can talk with your mouth full here. So wake up and dig in and continue to listen. We're always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com and you can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Chef Jamie Gwen. We hope you'll stay tuned for the full hour because we do have some delicious conversation coming up. In just a little bit, you're going to hear from Clifford Wright. He is an acclaimed cookbook author and he's cooking the best one pot dishes from around the world from his new cookbook called One Pot Wonders. Also, you're going to get a step-by-step garden guide for spring plus some really fresh recipes from the Four Season Farm Gardener's Cookbook and Michael McCarty, the legendary chef and restaurateur sharing 34 years, oh, and a few things that are new from Michael's Restaurant in Santa Monica, really an incredible living legacy restaurateur. And we're going to dish all throughout the hour and we welcome your emails to live, L-I-V-E, at chefjamie.com at any time. We'll kick off this hour with our technique of the week, hoping to make you a better cook in your own kitchen. There's almost nothing better to me, Lana, than the memories I have when you first took me to New York Mm -hmm. of a big, hot, soft Mm. pretzel from the street vendors in New York City. And the beauty of mastering homemade soft pretzels, also called Philadelphia style because they originated there, is that they're reasonably easy to make at home. Mm -hmm. And really the only, I think, aspect of the pretzel that even great cooks might find challenging is mastering the actual practice makes perfect concept of creating the shape of a pretzel. We actually posted a diagram at chefjamie.com to help you master the shaping portion. But I think that pretzels are a delectable treat that everyone enjoys. They're the perfect after school snack. They're a Sunday night football ball treat. Um, You can actually make pretzel dough and transform it into a bun or a roll or even a dinner bread basket. Mm -hmm. So it's multi-purpose. And then um, if you're adventurous, you could always make 
pretzel hot dog buns or something delicious like oh, that. That's fun. Now, I love to take the pretzel dough, by the way, and roll balls and stuff it with a combination of cooked crisp bacon and cheese. Mm. And then you have this delicious, pleasurable breakfast bite. And then you must have a dipper because every great pretzel needs a sauce. So honey mustard sauce or cheese fondue for dipping. And in fact, I know you have a favorite, Lana, from a pretzel experience that we had some time back because Chef Roy is a pretzel great. That he is. Oh, his pretzels were marvelous. They were braided and just long and tall. Yeah, and, st- and stuck into a glass so they mm-hmm. were standing up. And he is, by the way, um, Chef Roy from Zimzala Restaurant in Huntington Beach, California. He happens mm. to make a killer pretzel. But I think that the sauce was what I wanted to pour on my arm and eat. <laughs> so good. It's an IPA a cheddar fondue that yes. he serves it with. Because all cheddar fondue should mm. be absolutely blessed by IPA beer. Oh, I agree. You just had to bring bowls over. Yeah, exactly. We would have uh, we would have ladled it into our mouths if we could. You can make a simple sauce, by the way, a dipper for your pretzels using uh, Dijon mustard and honey to make your own honey mustard. You could make a simple fondue. Uh, you could even brush the pretzels when they come out of the oven with melted butter and sprinkle cinnamon and sugar. And the basic recipe is easy to master. It's just warm water and a packet of active dry yeast, uh, sugar and salt to feed the dough and then all-purpose flour so you guaranteed have all of those ingredients in your well-stocked pantry. It takes an hour to proof the dough because I like the dough to rise and then um, fall as you pat it down and then make the balls of dough and then use our pretzel diagram so that you can master the shaping and then a simple bath in water with baking soda to sort of simulate the lye that is traditionally used in pretzel making it gives you that crust mm-hmm. and you get that beautiful, um, wonderfully warm and soft center from creating a crust on a pretzel and then a simple bake and that's it. Now, if you use white flour, you'll get a fluffier pretzel. Right. And the whole wheat version is soft, but it is much chewier and healthier and heartier. It is. You. And you can use any kind of flour mm-hmm. you like. With that said, use a, a mix of flours or depending upon what your diet allows. We're going to talk about quinoa flour coming mm-hmm. up, in fact, because a gentleman by the name of George, who's been a longtime listener, wrote in to us to talk about gluten free. Mm. And you could use quinoa or grain flour here as well. And when you do, we'd love to hear how it turns out. Uh, write to us live at chefjamie.com and find the technique on how to master homemade soft pretzel at chefjamie.com. Send us a picture. We want to see how perfect your pretzels are. Oh, now don't forget you could drizzle uh, some melted cheese over the top and dip them into tomato sauce to make a pizza pretzel. Okay, coming to your house. And then a uh, cinnamon <laughs> sugar version that you dip into vanilla glaze. Ooh. Okay, Ooh, you've gone the dessert route. There we go. Now I'm in. Okay. Love a homemade pretzel. Great technique to master with friends and family and kids alike. So mm. do check it out. We want to give a big congratulations to Karen Bennett. Karen, congratulations. You are the winner of two tickets to the one and only night that American music great Barbara Cook will be at Segerstrom Center for the Arts in Costa Mesa, California to celebrate her 85th birthday, a special concert, in fact, from the great Broadway legend who has delighted audiences around the world for more than 50 years. 
years. Mm. Really incredible. We had a recipe contest and Karen won. We asked for your best appetizer recipe for pre-Broadway theater performance. And Karen sent us a terrific recipe that her mother used to make, probably starting, she said, in the 1950s. Her mushroom poroshki appetizer with a simple duck cell and a sour cream pie dough. She makes these beautiful pockets and they turned out deliciously. We love your recipe, mm-hmm. Karen. And we understand that your birthday falls on the 13th of April when Barbara Cook is at Segerstrom Center mm. for the Arts. So happy birthday to you. Mm-hmm. If you submitted a recipe, um, then don't fret because you could be our next winner. We're looking for your most unique fish and chips recipe next. The contests continue as we partner with Segerstrom Center for the Arts in Costa Mesa, California. The next upcoming Broadway show is Billy Elliot, winner of 10 2009 Tony Awards, including Best Musical. You know, we're all about food and the arts and lifestyle and living better every day here. And so what a perfect uh, partnership to have. You have one week to submit your most unique fish and chips recipe to honor Billy Elliot in British style. So send us your most unique fish and chips recipe by Friday, April 12th, and you could win two tickets mm-hmm. to Billy Elliot at Segerstrom Center for the Arts. You just have five days to get us that recipe. Yeah, but fish and chips, mm-hmm. I mean, what a great thing to practice Mm. (laughs) that's called research baby Mm -hmm. and you write to us you send your recipes to live l-i-v-e at chefjamie.com l-i-v-e at chefjamie.com okay great taste good health that's what i'm all about so when it comes to great taste i thought we'd have a spring awakening this morning lana and uh, you and i talked all this week about meyer lemons because i'm a little meyer lemon Mm. crazy there's something they they are the best there's something Mm. really beautiful about the balance of sweet tart flavor from a meyer lemon actually a lemon that was originally found and then cultivated in the state of california this meyer lemon has a much lower acidity level and a much higher bricks level which is the level that is determined by a brixometer and therefore shows the sugar content of fruit. It's how they determine when the grapes are picked off the vine to produce the best bottles of wine that you love. And with that said, Meyer lemons are in season right now. So be sure to go to melissas.com or find them in your local grocery store. And then at chefjamie.com, you can find a lemon drop martini recipe. It's a lemon drop martini my way, by the way. I hope you enjoy it using Meyer lemons that are muddled. And then there's also a lemon pound cake recipe. And we hope that you enjoy them. When it comes to good health, blueberries are at the peak of their season this week. And we're finding their bricks level very high too. So if you're looking for inspiration, you can email us. We will send you an exclusive recipe this week for one of Lana's, I think, best of cook with Lana recipes. And that's a blueberry crumb cake. Uh, There's nothing better than cake and blueberries that sort of melt together with Mm. a delicious crumb topping and if you're feeling inspired by blueberries do let us know live at chefjamie.com the email address to request recipes and then with that said as promised George wrote to us and talked about the challenge of his gluten-free diet and so we did a little work this week George and tested some of those grain flours and found out that the new quinoa flour that is readily available now on supermarket shelves and in uh, gourmet and wholesome markets is a complete protein with a very nutty, delicious flavor. 
And I will say it bakes beautifully. So please do check it out. If you're looking uh, to eat uh, no gluten, then consider polenta, potatoes, rice, or grains as your starch alongside. Lana, I thought the cake with the quinoa flour um, and the cornmeal was Mm. absolutely delicious. Wasn't it wonderful? It wasn't too heavy. It had a really nice flavor profile to it. It was nutty because of the quinoa, a Mediterranean grain that's really transforming gluten-free diets for the better. The flower aisle in in supermarkets has become so much more interesting. It really has. (laughs) I agree. And we'll continue to bring you uh, the best bites and new inspiration. And we thank you for continuing to share your passion for food. We don't want you to settle for simply having a great trip this year, by the way. We want you to have a once in a lifetime experience with us. And so we hope that you will come cruise with us aboard the elegant mid-sized ship, the Marina, aboard Oceana, come cruise with us because we are touring the Baltics and uh, we hope that you will uh, come and and find a great escape in a very casual atmosphere, Uh, mornings being pampered at the spa, a cooking class with me in the Bon Appetit Culinary Center, dinner inspired by none other than Jacques Pepin. It is the finest cuisine at sea on Oceana Cruise Lines, the marina ship, and I'll be cooking on board the Bon Appetit Culinary Center and you will have exclusive cooking classes and food and wine pairing seminars and a galley tour and a cocktail party and a farewell dinner and all that good stuff. Plus, our culinary tours have just released. And these are discovery tours, both in Helsinki, Finland and Tallinn, Mm, Estonia. Two great market tours. Oh my, I have to tell you how delicious these days are going to be. These are for diehard food lovers, myself along with the Bon Appetit Culinary Center chef, uh, Catherine Kelly. It is going to be an extraordinary experience. For more information or to book your stateroom, come cruise with us. Contact Food and Wine Trails at 800-367-5348 or foodandwinetrails.com. Check it out. As the delicious conversation continues, you'll find all aspects of the food world here. When we come back, we're cooking from just one pot. There's more scrumptious secrets in your radio right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio, creating delicious dishes one Sunday at a time. You can make easy and soul-satisfying food with minimal fuss and quick cleanup when they come from one pot. Cliff Wright calls them one-pot wonders, and we love his new cookbook. He is the culinary authority with 14 cookbooks to his name, having published over 4,000 recipes over just a few years, right, Cliff? He writes about (laughs) one-pot wonders just beautifully, a meal where everything goes into one vessel, and we found recipes that definitely made us salivate. We are delighted to welcome Clifford Wright back to the show. Good morning to you, Cliff, and congratulations. Another wonderful book. Good morning. Well, thank you very much. It's been quite a pleasure to write it. Oh, I I could imagine. And to taste uh, and experience and research all these dishes, too. I love that they have an ethnic approach, a a true depth of flavor, dedication. But what I think is most interesting is that this is not just the slow cooking aspect of what many of us think of as a one-pot meal. No. In fact, most previous one-pot cookbooks have always been uh, focused on slow cookers or stews. 
And I realized that I wanted to emphasize the idea that you can cook in one vessel. Hmm. We couldn't call the book One Vessel Wonders. It doesn't sound very sexy. <laughs> so we used one pot. From beginning to end, everything happens in one vessel. You only clean up one thing at the end of the dinner. And how much better than that could it get? I think that every culture and continent, as you speak about, has this sort of simplicity of making a meal in one vessel. The recipe might not be simple at that. It might have numerous flavors and spices and textures, but the fact that it simmers away or it slow braises in one pot, I think it just creates an even more soulful finished product. It's very true. And just remember the reason that we have so many pots and pans in the modern world Hmm. is before 100 years ago, we didn't have stoves. There was only one thing to cook. There was one fire or there was one burner. So everything was one pot for thousands of years until the modern age when stoves were invented. So this is kind of a flashback to the way people cooked for um, generations. Yeah, well, by the way, I love the throwback. And I think that this makes for um, the perfect family meal, the perfect hearty, rustic weeknight dinner, or even, you know, Saturday, pull out all the stops. No matter the season, Cliff, and I think no matter the weather, there's something heartwarming about a stew. And Lana and I were both extraordinarily intrigued by your lamb, cauliflower, and pomegranate molasses stew. It is quite heavenly, and of course, if you're familiar with pomegranate molasses, it provides this wonderfully luscious, rich, um, sweet taste that's slightly sour that provides a wonderful complement to lamb and cauliflower. Mm. The cauliflower is a bland vegetable, as you know, so it gets enhanced by these kinds of flavors. I love the idea. Pomegranate molasses has a beautiful, umami, savory, sweet complexity to it, right? It has this richness, and then it has the sweetness, and like you said, it has a bright acidity. And what a great compliment to lamb. And seeing that we're in the spring season, you could really translate that flavor profile to so many dishes. I was really inspired by that recipe. And then we wanted to compliment you, too, um, on your pork belly and kimchi tacos, because that is right up my alley. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's so funny how fresh pork belly has become popular over the past few years. And when people ask, what's that? I say, it's bacon. Mm -hmm. And basically, it's uncooked or uncured bacon. It's the raw bacon. It's the raw belly that is used for making of bacon. And it's a wonderful cut of meat. It's such a surprise that we haven't been eating it for decades. But in any case, it's been discovered. It's easily available these days in supermarkets. And Mm -hmm. this particular idea, interestingly, came about from the kinds of food that you find in these polyglot immigrant communities of Southern California. So it's a combination of Mexican and Korean, essentially. I happen to be a great fan of pork belly, and we've been cooking with it for some time, and we see it in restaurants, and of course, it was made famous in its taco form, as you allude to, from the food trucks. And Roy Choi here in Southern California, who um, pairs kimchi with everything, which I really like about him. The difference, though, between the traditional recipe and yours is that you actually cut the pork belly into strips and it cooks much quicker in the pan than slowly braising a large chunk of belly. And I thought that was a really wonderful representation of the fact that a one-pot wonder doesn't have to take three hours. No, in fact, there's no time limitation to one-pot meals at all. Uh, you, Whatever it takes to cook something, it could cook in five minutes if all the food that goes in it 
gets cooked in five minutes, mm-hmm. or you can do it a long time. I actually decide uh, beforehand whether I want something fast or slow. And sometimes I want my dinner to take five hours. Of course, I'm making it on a Saturday and Sunday. But I love the idea of the smells wafting through the house. And anybody who's coming into the house will immediately say, oh, my God, what's cooking? What are you making? Right. What are you making? (laughs) I love the collection of recipes. And by the way, if you've just tuned in, you're late because Cliff Wright is here. And his new book, his 14th, in fact, the cookbook entitled One Pot Wonders has just released. And it's really a, a wondrous collection of the world's best one pot dishes, no matter which vessel you choose to use. These fuss free but full of flavor recipes really stood out on the pages um, for both Lana and I, and mm-hmm. we receive a lot of cookbooks to peruse through. The hoisin duck wraps, as long as we're staying on the Asian approach, Cliff, I love the idea that you've now used pork belly, some really unique cuts, and then gone into the realm of duck breasts. My family, my kids, myself, we are duck crazy. We <laughs> wish that supermarkets held duck the way they sell chicken. Yes. So we're a little bit out of luck in that sense because uh, chicken is still more popular. But we think duck is just the most wonderful tasting poultry. And in this particular dish, it's so ridiculously simple. You're cooking everything in a cast iron skillet. And then you're wrapping everything in a flour tortilla. And what gets wrapped is the cooked duck breast Mm. with a little hoisin sauce, raw cucumbers, scallions, watercress. Wrap it up. There you go. That's dinner. And what's so funny about this dish is I'm pretty sure I found this idea on the Internet. And I just assumed it was some kind of Chinese dish. And in fact, I had read and I checked this over and over again that it seems to have been invented in Great Britain, perhaps Mm -hmm. around Brighton, and that the word duck wrap is actually a vulgar expression for a particular sex act. Mm -hmm. But I don't know which one. (laughs) <laughs> and I guess we don't need to know. No, no, and I'm still inspired for dinner tonight. So <laughs> it shouldn't matter, really. I think there's something beautiful about the fact that we've had tremendous, in, uh, incredibly flavored Asian food, in fact, in London, mm-hmm. Lana. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that wonderful... Uh, creation of recipes or, you know, the the design of these recipes stems from places, like you mentioned, Cliff, that you might not have expected. Yeah, and another thing about these kinds of combinations is they do rest upon some culinary knowledge. So, for instance, there are things that just don't go together, but there's a lot of things that you wouldn't have thought of that do go together and go Mm. together very well. Mm. I love the idea of bringing in a Mediterranean feel as well, and your chicken and rice in the lemon zest yogurt... <laughs> it's on page 318 for all who will bring the book into their home who have the good taste to do so. Mm-hmm. And very similar, Lana, to the milk braised chicken that you taught me oh. to make. There's mm. um, that richness that comes from the milk or the yogurt and a little bit of turmeric um, for color mm-hmm. and for flavor. Um, slivered almonds, uh, lots of pungent garlic. And I love that you're using a, a long grain rice like a basmati or um, the medium right. grain calrose. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really what I call a one-pot wonder. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's all happening in a uh, flame-proof baking casserole. Mm-hmm. So you're sautéing, you're starting it off as you would typically, sautéing some onion and garlic, and then you're using chicken thighs in this particular recipe. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I like chicken thighs over and above chicken breast is you can 
beat them up a little bit more. Yes. They and they, take, they, they always they taste abuse. good, yes. <laughs> and I, I recommend people who are not too confident about their cooking um, to stick with uh, chicken thighs because um, chicken breast can become uh, dry very quickly. So if you're not keeping track of it, uh, you may have a problem. But with the chicken thigh, no problem at all. They just become more and more tender. Mm. And then, of course, as you said, you're boosting those flavors with the turmeric, the, mm. the almonds. And finally, some peas for color. And then the tangy lemon zest mixed into the plain yogurt. Mm. Really Are you using Greek yogurt, Cliff? You can use any yogurt. We've loved reading your cookbook and the fact that you have unique recipes with new flavor profiles, but that you've gone back to the basics and made so many of them brilliant one-pot wonders. We're very excited about the release of your new book. He is Clifford Wright, One-Pot Wonders, the new cookbook with 250 recipes from every corner of the globe. Um, Each one really as simple as it is delicious, coming from one Pot. He is the award-winning author of 14 cookbooks now. In fact, James Beard Award winner. You will find his book on Amazon.com, of course, and we hope you find great inspiration in it. We will continue to cook with you, Cliff, and we thank you for always sharing your passion. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. We're continuing to satisfy your cravings. There's more after this. Don't touch your dial. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio as the delicious conversation continues. This is your culinary playground, and we do have the best culinary thinkers on this show. Chef Michael McCarty, who was raising his own ducks and cooking seasonal regional cuisine in the 1970s, was a pioneer in the culinary philosophy that now dominates American dining. He is the chef owner of two Michael's restaurants and has been at it since 1979. It is an incredible success story spanning 34 years in one location in Santa Monica here in Southern California and still going strong. He is a living culinary legacy, and it continues. And we're taking a look at the food scene this morning with restaurateur Michael McCarty. There's nothing better than sitting in the beautiful garden setting of Michael Santa Monica. And as the menu continues to elevate, we honor you, no doubt, Chef, for your extraordinary perseverance and great success in the restaurant world. Welcome back to the show. It's been way too long. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. As my friend Jerry Garcia said, a long, strange trip, but it's been (laughs) fabulous. I think it's really incredible to have watched you and seen you. I mean, even when I came out of culinary school, Michael, you are still today as much of an incredibly accomplished and I think very much admired chef after so many years. I mean, a legend in this industry, but you continue to reinvent, to transform, to elevate. There's a picture we found in 1979 of you backed by your opening team. And if you want to talk about a list of big name chefs, Jonathan Waxman, Mark Peel, and Ken Frank all worked for Michael McCarty. Yeah, that was my opening salvo back in 79. Sort of the uh, drum beats were going around and people were hearing a little bit of what we were doing. Clay Felker from New York, who owned New York Magazine, had just launched New West Magazine out here. He sent Coleman Andrews in. Coleman Andrews. Who hired a, a, a young stringer out of Berkeley named Ruth Reichel, who was living in a commune in Berkeley, California. And he said... Clay has told me about this Michael McCarty guy. You've got to get down there and check this out. And they're building this thing. It's 
it's going to be a happening. So mm-hmm. Coleman hired Ruth, and Ruth came down, spent two weeks with us, and chronicled the opening of Michael's and the beginning of this sort of cool food revolution. That you were at the forefront of, and you still are today. I, I wonder, Lana and I were talking about your style of cuisine, and, and yeah. today we know that you are still one of the leaders in farm-to-table. You believe in sustainability in the local movement. You were one of the first to create the Santa Monica Farmer's Market and build it to the growth and the level that it is today. And I know you believe that impeccably cooked new American food with great service is what has sustained you. Do you believe that's still your style? Absolutely. In the early 70s, we were taught classic Escoffier cooking. Fortunately, during the first half of the 70s in Paris was the beginning of the Nouvelle Cuisine Revolution, led by Michel Gerard and Paul Bocuse and Pierre-Jean Trois-Gros, La Pyramide, where Fernand Poin was the boss back in the days. It was a big inspiration to me because he not only was a great chef, he was really a restaurateur. He was in the front of the house all of the time, but working with the chefs in the kitchen, similar to what I modeled myself after. So I took all of that thinking those days where the press was very, very interested in this new sort of revolution, the clients were ready to experiment with us, and and a band of us young chefs were prepared to prepare it. Hmm. We've been here for 34 years and 24 years at Michael's in New York City because we are constantly on the evolutionary track. The generation that is now our consumers, which is a very wide spread of generation. You know, in the old days, the people that were eating age-wise were in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. You know, Mm -hmm. and today, I would say that virtually the majority of my clientele are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. Because they are so educated about food and wine. And that's what we say about the radio. We have the most extraordinarily savvy, food-loving audience here. And we're 14 years on the radio, Michael. There you go. It's been an incredible evolution to see. And you've constantly reinvented to continue that evolution. You have new menu inspiration. You've redone and designed the decor of the restaurant. Part of my experience in my history in this business is that we went through a massive recession here in L.A., 92 to 95. When we came out of that one, which was back in 95, 96, we had the exact same clientele who were ready to get back to business as usual. When we went into this recession back in the fourth quarter of 2008, I had sensed that there was something different about it. There was a paradigm shift occurring here. And number one, it was the fact that there was a younger generation who was coming into the food world. The Great Recession is fabulous because what it does is it forces people to be creative. Standard operating procedure of a young restaurateur today in the last five years has been go to Brooklyn. Look at the (laughs) proliferation of what I call... You know, storefront restaurants, they're little restaurants that have maybe 30, 40 seats. They focus on the the concept, again, but on a much more reduced scale, not the $15 million Las Vegas huge design restaurant that were being built around the United States. But you're very much in line with that, Michael, because you brought in a new young chef who was one of the under 30 rising stars. And what you're cooking now is very current cuisine. Exactly. What we did was we went from a standard three-course concept, appetizer, main, dessert, where basically you came in and we were seasonally changing it on a daily, weekly basis, and in a big changes every spring, summer, fall, and winter. But it was still that format. There were tablecloths, there were flowers on the tables, there was the beautiful, you know, Riedel, Crystal, the whole nine yards. About halfway through that recession, about the end of 2009, beginning of 2010, I realized that this shift had occurred, and we needed to make sure we were on the game here, we were on the program. And so that's what we did. I interviewed a great bunch of chefs, 
all young kids that were fabulous. Mm. Picked John Carlos Kuramoto, who is half Japanese, half Mexican. He learned to cook from his grandmothers. But he was a CIA-schooled individual. He understood the classic French. He understood the modern French. He understood Italian. And, of course, he had the Japanese and the Mexican background in terms of Hispanic foods and ingredients and techniques, all of which we've incorporated here over the years. And so we set ourselves up, and we just started about 18 months ago, to begin this transformation. Now, in the case of Santa Monica, we gutted and totally redid the restaurant. So we did away with everything I just told you. We improved the garden and made it more luscious and more fabulous, but we got rid of the tablecloths. We went from a 10 tables to 18 tables. I didn't know the garden could be improved, by the way, you Michael. You can't believe Just it. so it's you really know. Soon. It's astounding. Amazing. There's so much of these little physical things. We started a mixology program about 18, two years ago now. Right. Fabulous Jason Roby. He's got his own garden right above my office here in the back building. He grows everything that he uses in his cocktails. And we sort of just continue to evolve from that whole thinking. We finished the renovation in November of last year. And we launched the new menu. So as I said, we went from we went from 18 items to 48 items. So what are you cooking now? Tell us. Well, we introduced the whole vegan category. John Carlos pushed it to the point where we've got a lot of the Asian influences, a lot of the Hispanic influences, a lot of the Italian and the French. There's a huge mix of everything. It's a big hybrid, and it's what's so beautiful about it, but it's got a focus to it. It's about the ingredients as usual. They're prepared beautifully and simply. The biggest change has been people of all ages would rather taste six bites of six different things than one than six bites of one thing. Okay, I have to agree with you entirely, Chef, because I could be the one that might have had, uh, hopefully, uh, some sort of say or influence in leading that way. I just want a bite of what everyone else is having. That's exactly right. I don't right. want my own plate. I need a very long fork. Yes, <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> And that's the beauty of the small plates and the beauty of the concept. We can't wait to taste your white pickled asparagus. The new white asparagus just came into season. Stunning white asparagus. And at the same time in our farmer's market down here, the jumbo greens have finally hit. For me, that's spring when my asparagus dude has jumbo greens. Now, they're about an inch and a half in diameter. Yeah, and by the way, you know you're famous when you have an asparagus dude. We love the <laughs> blog, by the way, on oh, um, michaelsrestaurants.com, reading all about this totally cool double-cut bacon that oh, yeah. has this bourbon maple glaze, and that yeah. is a small plate if I ever saw one. Oh, yeah, that is the John Boy bacon is sensational. That's big and looks fabulous. I mean, I almost licked the computer screen. When you talk about culinary travel, you go one place every year to cook and eat, and I think yeah. that's a great inspiration to foodies that are listening, so take us there for a moment. Every year I go to London for a week, I go to Paris for a week, I go to Capri in Italy for a week, and then we end up in the southwest of France, near Toulouse, north of Toulouse, which is a wonderful food-growing region, duck and foie gras and truffles and wild mushrooms, and it's a very plain area in the sense that it's not a ritzy place like the south of France. We just go to the little village farmer's markets every day, we buy what's there, we bring it back, we cook it all day, we have friends that have a great house there with outdoor barbecues and ovens and this and that, and... Mm. And it's just spit roasted. doesn't matter what it is. We buy little tiny ducks from the one lady who brings three to the market. And it's, again, it's, it's such an important part of just being regenerated to get back into the program. 
Lana, mm. do you think Michael will let us be his friend? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I hope so, too. I think you are an ever-growing movement, Michael McCarty. And yeah. it is, um, I think, with great perspective that you offer insight into the restaurant world. And we thank you for sharing the continuing legacy. Uh, well, Michael's better than ever in Santa Monica and New York. If you ask any Angelino about their favorite restaurants, they will tell you the first thing that springs to mind is the living legend and legacy that is Michael McCarty that is Michael's there is something beautifully intimate and casual and wonderful and always will be and your food more fabulous than ever we look forward to dining again soon and to continuing to watch you pave the way for so many great chefs thank you Michael very great I appreciate you guys thank you have a great time we'll talk to you you. soon bye bye there's more fabulous food in your radio right after this Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. We're eating fresh this morning. There's a wonderful new book out, whether you're a gardener or a food lover or both. And that's why you listen to this show. Eating doesn't get any more local, really, than your own backyard. And whether it is your love of gardening or of the freshest produce, or maybe you're looking to eat the freshest that you can by picking your fruits and vegetables and herbs just before finishing your dish, many of us are looking to our backyards as a source not only of beauty, but as an important source of food. Barbara Damrosh and Elliot Coleman certainly know the beauty of a garden. They produce year-round gardens in their nationally known four-season farm in Harborside, Maine. They are also extraordinarily talented cooks. Barbara at the helm in the kitchen, both of them growing great greens. And you'll find all the information in the new four-season farm gardener's cookbook, From the Garden to the Table in 120 Recipes, with really incredible suggestions for growing a garden as well. Barbara and Elliot, good morning. So glad to have you on the radio. Well, good morning, Jamie. Good morning, Jamie. Give us, if you would, a little bit of background on gardening, because when it comes to food lovers like all of us, composting has been that key word for so long. And I I will say very honestly, I don't compost, but I'd love to learn. Well, the results from composting are what make gardening work so well, and it's because you're following the same concepts that Mother Nature follows. Seeds fall from the trees, they break down into uh, fertile organic matter soil underneath them. You're just doing the same thing in your backyard, or if you're buying compost, great. And that is the soil ingredient more than any other one that will make your garden grow bountifully. So, Barbara, what about composting from the kitchen? Like our scraps, when you and Lana and I cook, is there a way to take those odds and ends and better our beautiful garden? Absolutely. Um, Our compost bucket is under a little hole we had cut in our granite countertop, and as I'm trimming things, I'm just scraping them right in there. The other thing we do, especially, you know, in summertime, is to have a table outside next to the compost pile. It's a metal webbed top table. Um, and we'll just put leeks and carrots and root vegetables down on the table and hose them down outside so that they can come into the house a little cleaner. And we can chop off the tops of leeks or carrots or something right there and put them right on the compost. 
How smart. Mm. Okay, on the topic of a garden, I love the idea of a salad garden, being able to pick your own greens and then toss this beautifully organic, what I call farm fresh flavor. So inspire us, if you would. We're certainly uh, living and loving the bounty of spring right now. Is it a good time to start a salad garden, and how do we do it? Well, the nice thing about a salad garden is can be done on an area no bigger than your dining room table. And this is especially important for a beginning gardener. Don't take on anything too big. Just take a small area, put a lot of compost on there, mix it in, and then uh, seeds of the baby leaf lettuces that are so popular, plant rows of those, and they're a cut and come again. You'll get a lot of harvest from them. Put in uh, a few uh, radishes, uh, some arugula, uh, a cherry tomato plant. It doesn't Mm -hmm. take much, and you're going to have the best salad you've ever eaten. Lana, your cherry tomatoes this past season were pretty fabulous. The tomato crop was wonderful. That it was. Any tips as we embark on tomato season for sure? There's a wonderful piece in the book that I love, Barbara, about saving your seeds. And you have a paper plate marked tomato brandy wine, and I am going to follow (laughs) suit. Well, it's really very simple. You you have to ferment them in a glass of water. And and then after the, the foam rises to the top and the seeds sink to the bottom, you just... You rinse it a few times. When it's all done, you pour it out, drain it, out, rinse it, and spread it out on a paper plate to dry. When they're really, really dry, put them in a little vial, an aspirin jar, something uh, where it's airtight, and store them, and you can grow them next year, as long as it's an open-pollinated variety. If it's an F1 hybrid, and your catalog should tell you that it wouldn't breed true to seed, but something like Brandywine, which is an old-fashioned heirloom, you can save the seeds from year to year and not have to buy any. Oh, I must try that this year. Don't you love that? And what would be the best timing during the year to plant those seeds? Well, it depends on the crop. Now, beans is a good example of something that doesn't like really cold soil, so you want the soil to have warmed up a bit. Peas can go in really early, and most of the ones that Elliot mentioned for that salad garden Mm -hmm. are cool-weather crops that you can plant as soon as the the soil is no longer gooey from rain. I don't know if you have mud season where you are, but a lot of the parts of the country do, and or even areas you know within California would. So um, tomato plants go in you know when the soil is warm to I would say at least sixty degrees. They don't like cold feet. I don't like cold feet either. (laughs) I'll say that, but I certainly love flourishing tomato pants. Uh, With a a minute or so left here, Barbara and Elliot, it's really two books in one, your book that we're most enamored with, The Gardener's Guide so that you can grow what you eat, and the cookbook so that you can cook what you grow. And it's asparagus season. So Barbara, if you would inspire us, your asparagus goldenrod looks Uh absolutely scrumptious. Yeah, that's my mother used to make eggs goldenrod where you boil the yolks and you, you boil the egg and you grate the yolk over the dish, having made a cream sauce out of the white. It's very beautiful and it was just my idea to put um, asparagus in there too and, and a piece of toast underneath. I love that. Oh, what a lovely breakfast or lunch. Yeah, and, and a super mm. brunch item as well. Perfect for the spring season. There are wonderful recipes. I marked so many. Everything from root vegetable ribbons and cooking the earthy vegetables that we love to a bunch of stews that really incorporate the best of the season. And the book is definitely inspiring. We are going to start composting. Mark my word, Barbara and Elliot. Uh, you'll see tomato seeds in Lana's 
garden soon, I know. And we're going to continue to cook from the Four Season Farm Gardener's Cookbook. From the garden to the table in 120 recipes. Grow what you eat. Cook what you grow. It's two books in one. Congratulations. Thank you for bringing so much deliciousness to our backyards and to our tables. Thank you so much. Can't wait to cook from our growing garden, and we hope you are looking forward to a spring awakening. Look for the best fresh global produce available in stores now, of course, from Melissa's. And if you can grow your own even better, we'd love to see what's growing in your garden. Send us your best food picks to live at chefjamie.com. Oh, and send us your most unique fish and chips recipe as well so that you can win tickets to Billy Elliot, the show upcoming at Segerstrom Center for the Arts, Costa Mesa, California. And be sure to tune in next Sunday when the delicious conversations, oh, please do, the delicious conversation continues next Sunday, 8 a.m., You're going to hear about Back to the Roots and how you can grow oyster mushrooms indoors, in fact. James Cunningham, the comedian host of Eat Street, will join us. And we're curing everything with Zach and Chris from Salt's Cure, one of the hottest restaurants in Los Angeles right now. Sharpen your cooking skills and please your palate at ChefJamie.com, where we're serving up seconds and recipes galore. And make it a delicious week. We'll meet you here next Sunday. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. Thanks for listening. I hope you continue. You to eat well. The preceding program has been brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment. You